0: I go I've told people it should be perfectly legal to shoot a bad choir (laughs) you ought to just be able to stand up and put them out of their misery and you say why would you say such a thing because a choir can dig a hole that no preacher can get out of (laughs) boy the music has just been phenomenal heartwarming heart touching and I've loved every bit of it and thank you for the great spirit that you have brought Uh, I love coming here Uh, There's several things that I love about your land. Uh, I have discovered that I love your snags. (laughs) They are phenomenal, just phenomenal. I don't know how they don't have that everywhere on planet Earth, but you have it here. And so every time I come back, the minute I land, I start seeking them out, (laughs) and uh, I have loved that. And then Pavlova, oh, my. If I have to drown... (laughs) I wanted to be in a vat of pavlova. That's what I I would leave this world with a smile on my face if that happened. And uh, just thank you for all your great kindness. You've been so gracious to my son and my grandson. And uh, I get to be with them not a great deal. And it's just a treat for us to have the time to fellowship together. And your pastor and everybody has been so good. Brother Peter has just been exceptional with kindness to us. Thank you for everything. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 4, where we started. And I want you to carefully look at something that is said in Acts, chapter 4, verse 33. We're going to come back to this chapter. The Bible says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And I had read this passage literally in my Bible reading hundreds of times and never saw the next words. Listen to what it says. And great grace was upon them all. The word great there was the word for something that was so large it was unquantifiable. Unquantifiable. God says they were saved. These are heaven-bound. These are first-century Christians. But God says great grace was upon them. Now, for sure, if you're saved, it was done by the grace of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But now that you're saved... Do you have great grace upon you? I love what Charles Spurgeon said as a great definition for grace. He said it's the favor and the power of God. It's by God's favor, it's by God's power that we're able to do anything. And these people had great favor and great power. I wonder if you could say tonight as a child of God, that's me, I have great favor, they had it. I had great favor and I have great power, the power of God. Now go in your Bibles if you would please to 2 Timothy chapter two. And I want you to see what Paul told Timothy here. To the best of our knowledge, this is Paul at the end of his journey and he's writing to his understudy Timothy and he's giving him his final words of instruction. And in chapter two of 2 Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Literally, be strong in the favor, be strong in the power of God. Then look at how he closes the letter. Go to chapter 3, verse 15. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, these are all saved people. They're all heaven-bound. But the favor of God and the power of God If we needed somebody here who has God's power tonight, I wonder if you could say, that's me. I am strong in the favor and power of God, Brother Gibbs. We're commanded to be, we're commanded to be. Now turn in your Bibles, if you would again, to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read it, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now get ready for verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and, say the next two words together, find grace. Find the favor and the power of God to help in time of need. People come to us in our ministry all the time and they say, Brother Gibbs, here's our dilemma. And Boy, I mean, some of their dilemmas are just unbelievable what they're facing, the adversity and the problems. And they say, okay, um, what should I do? I said, you need to find grace. They said, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved. No, grace is how you got saved. But now that you're saved, you're commanded to be strong in the grace and God says, I want you to come boldly and get my favor and my power that you may find help in the time of need. There's no way for me to do the ministry that God's given me to do if I don't have this power, if I don't have this favor. Your pastor, if he doesn't have God's grace, the power and the favor of God, all that he has left is what an unsafe person has. You can be diligent, you can be talented, you can work hard, but God says, no, 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 I have a help in time of need. By the way, how many of you want God's power in time of need? Hold your hand up. Well, I promise, now I want you to turn to Corinthians. We're going to look at one more. Second Corinthians, please, chapter 12. And this is Paul, as you'll recall, we won't read the whole passage, but this is Paul asking God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And the Bible says that three times he asked God to take this hindrance, whatever it was, away. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, say out loud again the next two words, My grace, say it out loud again, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power, that grace, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you have the grace, that favor, that power of God? Now go back to Acts chapter 4. We know that this church did because it says great grace was upon them all. Now let me give you just the story that leads up to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have gone into the temple to pray. And while they're there walking in, there's beggars all around the temple because as part of the Jewish faith, you have to give alms to please God. So the beggars knew where to congregate. And there's a man there crippled from birth. He can't walk. And he gets a hold of Peter and John and he's saying, give me an alm, give me an alm." And I love what Peter said. He said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I unto thee. Do you understand? He said, I don't have any money, but I have the power of God. Such as I have. Rise up and Walk. And by the power of God, the man rose up and walked. And immediately when this man was healed, he stood up and it caused a great commotion. And people started saying, how did they do that? And here come the authorities. Now these are the very authorities who have just crucified Jesus Christ. And the very ones who put Christ to death now show up. And they say, how'd you get the power to do this? And I love what Peter said, so shy. He said, We did it in the name of Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you put on a cross, but death could not hold him. He rose after three days. It's in his name that we did this. And he said, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. They were infuriated. Now, if I'd have been there, I'd said, Peter, be calm. (laughs) Don't get them mad, remember, They've crucified Jesus, and they'd love to crucify us. Well, they put them in jail overnight, and when they got out in the morning, they said, we're telling you, don't you dare talk about this. And immediately they went back to the church. And that's where our reading in Scripture starts. They're now back in front of the church telling them what happened. And the Bible records they did three things. And I'm going to tell you what the three things are, and then we're going to read them. Because when they did these three things, great grace was upon them. The first thing they did was they did great praise. They praised God greatly. The second thing they did was great boldness. This didn't make them get timid. It made them get more bold. So you had great praise, and then great boldness, and then you had great prayer. And after they did those three things, the power of God broke out, and great grace. How many of you want the power of God on your life? Hold your hand up, will you? It's no accident. Let's look at the three things that they did. Let's read the portion again. Starting at verse 23, and being let go, this is Peter and John coming out of prison, they went to their own company, that's the church, and reported all that the chief priests and elders said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, now circle the word Lord there found in your Bible. This was the word for the all-powerful God. I hear people say, well, my God's very powerful. No, 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 your God's all-powerful. There is nothing your God can't do, nothing. He said, what's impossible is only impossible with man. It's never impossible with God. And that's the word they used. They said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now verse 28 is where the praise breaks through. For to do whatsoever thy hand And thy counsel determined before to be done. If you're only going to hear one thing tonight, not one thing can happen to you that your God's not 100% in control of. Not one thing. You serve an all-powerful God. Now, if I'd have been there, I'm afraid what I'd have done, I'd have gone back and said, guys, we got a problem. They know who we are. They've warned us. They've just killed Jesus, and they'd love to kill us. So I think we better pray for God to make this thing go away. How many of y'all have ever prayed, God, make my problem go away, please? How many of y'all have ever done that? Boy, I'm a specialist at it. Please make it disappear. That's not what they did. They praised God for the problem. They thanked him. Do you know what the Bible commands? In Everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When's the last time you thanked God from the depths of your heart for your problems? When's the last time you praised him with great praise? I love how you sing here. Your singing is a rejoicing to my soul. But I wonder tonight if you can say, boy, when I sang tonight, I praised him with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Because that's the command. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. One song is going to be your last one. And highly unlikely you'll know when it's going to be. I hope you live a long time. But one song will be your last one. And if the last song you sang tonight was your last one, and tonight you're standing before God, you've stepped into eternity, I wonder if you could say to him, did you hear me? Did you hear me? I sang with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, just the way you commanded." Or is that not true? How strong is your praise? My law partner, Charlie Craze, was with me for about 25 years, he's retired now. And when we'd go to church, Pastor, Charlie loved to sing, oh my word. He sang so loud, and he was horrible. (laughs) I mean, he didn't sing bad, he sang horrible. He had this gift, and it drove song leaders crazy. He would just sing. Boy, I mean, like, he sang like he's standing in front of God. And by the way, when you sing, that's where you're standing. Do you understand? We're not singing here for each other. You're singing to him. So when you sang tonight, you were standing in the throne room of God, singing to him. But he had this gift. He would sing a perfect half note off. Perfect. And you couldn't do it if you tried. And he'd get singing so loud that he'd get a whole part of the church in the key he was in. And it drove the song leaders crazy. And three dozen times I've seen a song leader say, hold it, hold it, hold it, let's stop. Let's go to the key he's in. And the minute he did that, he won another half step off. It didn't fix anything. And I would say, Charlie, you're messing it all up. He said, I know. But I love to praise him, David. When you sang tonight, did you love it? Or did you just sing the words because you know the words? They're just committed to memory. So you don't even have to think about them. It's just by rote it comes out. When is the last time you sang to him from the depths of your spirit? He knows. You can fool me. That's easy. Nobody fools God. And do you love to praise him? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's the command. How many of you here want your next breath? Hold your hand up, would you? And how many of you want one after that one? And how many of you want a whole bunch after that one? Do you know why he gives you breath? So that you can praise He doesn't give you breath to be a critic. He doesn't give you breath to be a grump. He gives you breath to praise him. And tonight, I hope you understand, when we sing, it's not to fill service time till we get to other things. It's to give us the privilege to have great praise, to praise him. I ran into a lady who changed my whole life on this. I went to preach at an all-black church in America, which I've had the privilege to do many times. And this was a great church, a great soul-winning church, wonderful Baptist church. And when I arrived at this church, it it was big. On that Sunday morning, I want to say there were 2,500 to 3,000 people there. And I walked in, and I'm looking around, and suddenly I noticed something. I'm the only person here not of color, the only one. Normally, when I've gone to all-black churches, there's other people there not of color. And these people were friendly and gracious. I mean, it wasn't a problem at all, but it just struck me. I'm the only not-black person here. Well, I sat down over here, and pretty soon a lady came in and sat down on the pew next to me, and she nodded at me, and I nodded at her. Then she said hello, and I said hi. She put her stuff away, and she's sitting there, and finally she turned to me, and she said something that startled me. She looked at me and she said, What are you doing here, white boy? (laughs) Nobody in my life had ever called me white boy. (laughs) And she didn't say it unkind. But it startled me. And I looked at her and I said, Well, white boy's going to preach this morning. And I thought, Oh, my word, I just called myself white boy. This is... This is no good. She said, you're going to preach, white boy? I said, yeah, ma'am. She said, well, isn't that a hoot? And I said, you know what? I agree. That's a hoot. She looked at me and she said, you got the stuff, white boy? I said, I beg your pardon? She said, don't play stupid, white boy. You know exactly what I mean. You either got the stuff or you don't got the stuff. And if the preacher don't have the stuff, don't you dare get up there and pretend to have the stuff. Because if the man of God don't have the stuff, we can't have church. Now, you either got the stuff or you don't have the stuff. Which is it, white boy? (laughs) I said, white boy's got the stuff. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I'm like, how do you answer? She said, well, good, well, good. Now, I don't know. This lady is going to change my life like few people have ever touched it. She said, did they tell you how we do stuff around here? I said, no, not exactly. Oh, well, she said, you're gonna love it. She said, the first thing we do is sing. I said, that's good. She said, for about two hours. (laughs) I said, two hours? (laughs) Oh, she said, it's wonderful. She said, it drives the devil crazy. (laughs) And she said, you know who else it drives crazy? Carnal Christians they can't stand to praise him like that. She said, they can go to a ball game for a couple of hours and, boy, yell and scream, but come to church and praise the King of Kings, it's not in them. She said, boy, when we sing with all our heart, it gets you ready for what God's going to do. And she said, don't you forget, he loves it, and he commands it. She said, you love to sing, don't you, white boy? I said, I'm loving it more by the minute. (laughs) Yeah, ma'am. I had never sung for two hours. She said, well, good, good, good. She said, after we sing, we have testimonies. I said, well, that sounds good. She said, yeah, people that got saved come forward, and people confess sins, and if they've done crimes, they come up and confess the crimes. And if they've done a crime, we take them right down to the police station and turn them in. I said, you do what now? (laughs) She said, two weeks ago, a man got saved, walked forward, and he said, I'm the guy that blew the car with the chief of police up in it. I tried to kill him and his family. The bomb just didn't detonate right. But the guy got saved and came forward. He said, the whole church took him right down to the chief of police, and we turned him in. I said, you took him down to the police? She said, yeah. She said, you haven't done any crimes, have you, white boy? (laughs) I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, none that I'm talking about this morning, man. I'll, I'll be down at the chief of police. She said, the Bible says if you're not right with man, you're not right with God. You know that's in the book, white boy? I said, yeah, I'm aware that's in there. She said, well, good. She said, after that, you preach. And she said, I want you to hear me. We didn't come to get out. We come to get God. She said, now, as we get ready to sing, could you move over just a little bit? Now, we're already that far apart. I said, sure. I said, somebody else coming? She said, no. But she said, when I get standing in front of him." And when i get singing to him with all my heart sometimes i need a little room i moved over good thing i did <laughs> now the whole reason i tell you this story is for what happened next this lady started praising god and her praise pulled me in I found myself saying I want what she's got that's what I want would your praise tonight have pulled anybody in would they say that's what I want I want what that lady's got what that man's got whoa we're singing away and she started tears coming down her cheeks I started crying, and I don't even know why we're crying. But her heart touched me. I have never heard anybody more passionate with more heart. All my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Wow. I hope you understand when the song leader stands up here, He's not just trying to complete Pete a verse. He's trying to get us to praise God. With great praise. Finally, the pastor summoned me up. And I went up on the platform by him and I knew him from before. And he said, I see you talking to Sister Abby down there. I said, is that her name? He said, yeah. I said, Preacher, I want to tell you something. She's got something I want. I want to praise God the way she does. When I praise God, I want somebody to say, Boy, oh, I want that. I want that. Because if you are really praising Him, people will want it. He said, I know. He said, did she tell you her testimony, Brother Gibbs? I said, no, no. He said, Brother Gibbs, a year ago, her two junior high boys and her husband, the boys were twins, went down to the bus stop to go to school. It's quarter to six in the morning. Her husband catches a bus to work, her boys catch a bus to go to school. And they think tragically it was a gang thing two cars pulled up and guns came out, shotguns, and they killed her boys and they killed her husband. He said, then unthinkably, they got out and cut the heads off her boys and took them. When we buried them, Brother Gibbs, we buried them with no heads. We still don't have them. She didn't tell you that? I said no. All I know is I want to praise God like she does. He said, "Brother Gibbs, you should have heard her sing at the funeral." She said, "You got to help me praise him." I said, "Wow. Brother Gibbs, did she tell you she has stage 4 cancer and no money for medicine?" None. I said no she didn't tell me that all I know is none of that stopped her from praising God what does it take to stop you from praising him what does it take to get you to praise Him? we have the privilege to sing with all our hearts all our mind and by the way i hope you do that here but i wonder if the kids would say you ought to hear mom at home you ought to hear dad at home you ought to hear the praise wow you want great grace it starts with great praise write the second thing down you got to have great praise and then great boldness great boldness That's what it says, verse 29. And by the way, this is my life's verse. My mother gave it to me the day I graduated from law school. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. How bold are you at speaking up for Jesus Christ? How bold are you at telling this world about the Savior? Now, I don't know what your statistics are here, but I can tell you what I know from all our lawsuits. In the average church, less than 6% of the people ever witness, ever. We've never had nicer tracks, we've never had better-looking materials, and we've never witnessed less. What would it take to get you to have boldness? Boldness to witness. Of the 6%, only 4% do it with any frequency. And then we wonder why our countries aren't being reached for Christ. I don't know how this has happened, but in my lifetime, every crazy religion and ideology and thought and political spectrum has come out of the closet, and God's people have gone into the closet. We've lost our boldness. Well, yeah, but Brother Gibbs, the world doesn't want to hear. They've never wanted to hear. There's nothing new. Boy, when when they spoke up, they said, you talk like that, we're going to kill you. But they stayed bold. What would it take for you to get bold? My son, Jonathan, who's a lawyer in our ministry, was with me in Washington, D.C. We were going to meet with a couple of senators and a couple of representatives on a matter. And we got there about an hour early, and we're in the basement of the Cannon Building. That's one of the big government office buildings there. And in the basement of the Cannon Building is this massive cafeteria. Uh, It's probably 10 times, maybe 15 times the size of this auditorium. And there's just thousands of workers down there uh, eating in the basement of this building. And my son said dad we're here an hour early we got an hour to kill i said yeah you're right he said i got an idea he said just in case i brought a whole briefcase full of tracks and he said how about i'll take the left side you take the right side dad and he hands me these tracks and i said this is a great idea great idea let's get an hour putting a witness out for jesus I said, now, Jonathan, if you run into any trouble with the police or anybody, your mom will not be happy if I get you arrested in Washington. And I have to call her and tell her you're in jail tonight. I said, so if the cops come or anything, I said, you, you fold it up and get back to me. He said, I will, I will. Well, we started handing out gospel tracts. Not one person, we offered one, to refused to take it. Not one. Finally, I'm way, way, way off in a corner over here handing out these tracks, and here comes a policeman. He's one of the Capitol Police, very powerful. And by all the stuff on his uniform, I assume some kind of a leader. And he said, what's that you're handing out? I said, it's a gospel track. He said, can I have one? I said, you bet. I was about to give you one. Here you go. And he took it, and he read it. And he said, I got a question for you. I said, what's the question? He said, have you got any more of these? I said, yeah, I got a bunch. He said, could you give them to me? I'll take them back to where the headquarters are for the police, and I'll give one to everybody. Then he asked me this question. He said, every crazy group is here handing out their stuff. The only people who are not here are the Christians. Why? We have a command. Go and tell. That's the command. Well, Brother Gibbs, handing out a track, that's not my way. What is your way? Oh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of ways. I had a preacher once. He and I were going to take a flight together. And this preacher said, I'll I'll get our tickets and seats all arranged. I said, okay, great. I got to the airport, and he's there, and he said, Brother Gibbs, uh, we're going to sit in the very last row. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, we sure don't want the... On this airplane, both of the engines are hung right on the back. And I said, the last two rows are between the engines. I said, our molars will vibrate for a month. You don't want to do that. And then he said, no, no, you're going to do it for Jesus. How many of you understand when they play that... (laughs) How do you say, no, I won't go sit there for Jesus? But I'm thinking, what does Jesus have to do with having your molars vibrating, all right? And he said, we're going to get on last. I said, that's the last thing we want to do. All the bin space will be gone. He said, nope, for Jesus, for Jesus. Everybody's now getting on the plane. And I'm sitting there, this is a dear friend of mine, a dear man of God, dear friend of Brother Fisher's. And I thought, I don't want to insult them, but this is crazy. Finally, the gate agent there said, come on, come on, you're the last. Come on, hurry up. And he looked at me and he said, I need you to pray, Brother Gibbs. And he hands me his Bible. And what he did next just floored me. He unbuttoned his shirt, pulled it back, and on his T-shirt, he has printed, I can tell you how to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. It's on his T-shirt. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, oh, sweet Alabama. (laughs) Whoa. We walked up by the gate agent and she's looking at it. He just got it pulled back like this. And she said, can I take a picture of that? He said, sure, go ahead. She took her phone and snapped the picture. Then she turned to me and she said, you with him? I said, well, kind of. <laughs> I'm holding his Bible. I'm going to tell you something. When somebody gets bold, do you get timid? That's what was happening to me. We walked down, all the way down the jetway. He just kept saying, now you pray, Brother Gibbs, you pray. We walked in, and the flight attendants there looking at it, they both really say, hey, can we take a picture? He said, sure, go ahead. Now, we're walking down the aisle, and he's going like this. (laughs) And people, by the dozens, are standing up taking a picture. By the dozens. And I'm watching him do this, and I'm thinking, hmm, he's a little tiny thin guy. If I did this, (laughs) we could put the whole Romans Road on my... (laughs) I got a lot of real estate there, man. We could... We could really get this. We get all the way to the back. And he's buttoning up his shirt, and one of the flight attendants came up. and almost scared me. She said, do not get off this plane. Promise me you will not get off this plane till you talk to me. And he said, okay. And she started shaking. She said, God sent you for me. You got to promise me. You won't get off till we can talk. He said, I won't. You say, well, nothing like that ever happens to me, Brother Gibbs. That's because you got your light under a bushel. How many of you know the song, This Little Light of Mine? I'm going to let it Hide it under a bushel. Man, we buckled up. He said, pray, Brother Gibbs, the Lord's working. We took off, probably 15 minutes later, they turned off the seatbelts. Seven people immediately got up and came back to him and said, can I talk to you? Before we got off that plane, five people trusted Christ. Say, Brother Gibbs, that's too bold for me. Well, I understand, me too. But we're commanded to go and tell. And how are you going to do that? My precious wife, Gloria is so timid. But she gives a track to everybody. And she says, this changed my whole life. And one day you're really going to wish you knew this. And everybody takes them. What's it going to take for us to have great praise and great boldness? A church track rack should be cleaned out every week because we got a whole world out here that thinks maybe they're going to heaven, they hope they're going to heaven, but they have no idea how to get there. And we have the answer. You want great grace, the power and favor of God? Great praise and then great boldness. Write the third thing down and we're done. It's great prayer. Great prayer. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, Pentecost has already taken place. That's in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has already come. The day you got saved, the Holy Spirit indwelt you. If you're here and you are truly heaven bound, you have the Spirit of God in you. And you have all of him. But does he have all of you? And it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost when they prayed. How's your prayer life? Uh, I may preach on this later this week. I got in real trouble with my prayer life, real trouble. And it wasn't that I wasn't praying. And maybe compared to some people, I was praying admirably. But here's where I got in trouble. I got to where it did not surprise me at all if God didn't answer my prayer because it just happened all the time. I would pray for things, when they didn't happen, I'd say, boy, I don't know, maybe I wasn't praying right, maybe it wasn't, but I mean all the time. And I got so comfortable with it that it became a norm in my life. Don't you ever, ever, ever get comfortable with unanswered prayer because your God has promised to answer your prayers. He's promised. He said, ask and ye shall receive. He's promised. But he said, you have not, because you what? Asked not. The word ask is the word for specificity. It's the word for getting specific with God. Dr. John R. Rice wrote a great book. He founded the Sword of the Lord. He wrote a great book on prayer. It's called Prayer: Asking and Receiving. And in this book here's what he said, every failure in a Christian's life is a prayer failure. Everyone. Because by prayer you have the ability to move the arm of God. How good's your prayer life? And how specific I have a list of 62 things that I pray for my wife every day, every day. Now, they're not specific to us. I've given this list out many hundreds of times. And if you read it, you would say, I want that for my mate. I want that. I want that. I want that. You'd say, I want that 62 times. There's only one problem you're not asking what would it take to get you asking? What exactly do you want for each of your kids? I know you love them. I know you do. My granddaughter came in by me, and she said, Bapa, that's what they call me. She said, I know you have a prayer list. I've seen it just for me. I said, I do. She said, would you put this on it? Do your kids know that you're asking for them. Nothing can take the place of prayer. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And if you want great power, it takes great praise. It takes great boldness. And it takes great prayer. Now, maybe your mind is so acuitive, so photographic, maybe your memory is so stellar that you don't need a list when you pray. But I've never met anybody, never met anybody with any kind of a prayer life who didn't have a great prayer list. Because without a prayer list, pastor, I can pray for 10, maybe 15 minutes, but then I'm just out of things to pray about. I'm just kind of done. And I'm praying these general sweeping prayers, you know, be with my family and Oh, help my wife and our church be with our pastor and the missionaries and God, our country in such a mess. Oh, God. But what are you specifically asking God to do? God says you have not because you ask not. Or he said you ask and you ask amiss. You ask so selfish it's not Christ honoring. Show me your list and I'll tell you whether you've got The power, the power of God. There was an evangelist by the name of Lester Roloff. How many of you ever heard his name? Anybody? Dear American evangelist. And we were in a trial and I was down in his room, his motel room, a little tiny motel room. And I walked in and there were papers on the bed, on the floor, on the table, on the dresser. And I said, are these papers for the trial? He said, no, no, no. I said, what are all these papers for? He said, this is my prayer list. I said, this is your prayer list. What he said next changed me. He said, I'm asking God for a lot. Do you realize there's no limit? None. But you have to ask. Now, what I'm going to tell you is not in the Bible. I'm going to be very clear. It would be amazing if the Bible said, as a child of God, you get 10 miracle asks. Not 11, just 10. Choose carefully. You know what the number is in the Bible? It's unlimited. But you have to ask. What are you asking for for those kids? what are you asking for your own life what are you really asking for this church what are you really asking for your pastor for your mate God says you want great power you want my favor my power he said I want you to start praising me with all your heart mind soul all your strength and then he says I want you to get bold and he says I want you to pray asking and ye shall receive indeed every failure in a Christian's life is a prayer failure isn't it amazing you don't have to be well educated to pray in fact there's a correlation my experience is the more people I meet that have higher education it seems the less they pray Because they're banking on their talent set. They're banking on their credentials. And God says, I want you to bank on me. I want you to ask, because without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Say it out loud again. Without me, ye can do nothing. Whoa. You want great grace? Timothy, listen to me. Get strong in the grace Paul said I went to him and three times I asked him to remove it and he said no my grace is sufficient for thee my favor my power we have a high priest who's touched with our infirmities go to him in time of need for grace The only person who can get this for you is you. Now, I'm done with this final comment. I know your pastor, how he loves this church. If he could do this for you, he would. I know this man's heart. By the way, if you could do it for your kids, you would. If you could do it for your beloved friends, you would. But no one can do it for you but you. The devil doesn't care what you just heard as long as you don't do anything with it. In fact, I think I can show you from the Bible, he loves it when you know how to get great grace and still don't do it. What would it take for you? Great praise. The next time I sing, I'm going to sing with all my strength because I'm singing to him. And I'm not going to just say the words. I'm going to really sing the words from my heart. Wow. And bold. God helping me. I am going to be, because I'm commanded to be a witness. There is no such thing as a good Christian who doesn't witness. We're commanded. And then comes the issue. What would it take for you to start that prayer list tonight for you to start writing it down you'll never stop adding to it the other day I heard a man preaching and I thought how do I not have that on my prayer list what was I thinking a dozen times when I've heard brother Fisher I've added things to my prayer list because he's helped me with fasting and prayer so many times My God wants you to have great grace. And exactly what he said to Timothy, be strong in the grace. Now the choice is yours. Bow your heads. Father, thank you. Oh my, your word's so clear. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. Your word spells it out. And, Guy, why would we want to navigate life without your power? Because without it, all we have is what the world has, a best effort. But by your grace, we can have great grace. Heads are bowed. How many of you say, David, boy, the Lord spoke to me tonight. I want great grace. My heart's been touched. If that's true, hold your hand up right now. Hold your hand high. If you got your hand up, I want you to get up out of your seat. and Make your way to this altar. God spoke to your heart. You come right now. The piano's going to play. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have, Brother Gibbs, you come too. Nothing can take the place of the grace of God. Brother Gibbs, my bones just don't bend like they used to. Then you come sit on the front, if you will. Oh, I promise you, the power of God, the favor of God. Boy, I need it. I crave it. Father, I bow with the hearts of these people. Forgive me, forgive us, where for so many days I just gave it my best shot. Did the best I could, but I didn't have the favor, the power of God in it. God, it's no accident. This church had great grace, and that's what we crave. Coming into the conference this week, we need your power, your favor. And God, we ask for it, but we don't want to do the conditions. Great praise, great boldness, and great prayer. Tonight, Father, I pray we'd be the people who do exactly what the Acts 4 Christians did. And you bestowed great grace on them. You didn't tell us about this church just to let us envy them. You told us about them because we can do the same. Hear the cry of our hearts. I don't know what all the needs are at this altar. I don't know all the needs in this auditorium. But Father, absent your favor, absent your power, we can't do anything. Hear our hearts cry in Jesus' name. Pastor.